What is up, you beautiful people? Welcome back to the Built on Bitcoin podcast, where we cover all the innovation happening inside the Bitcoin ecosystem. I'm your host, Jacob Brown, but you'll see me on the interwebs as Jake Blockchain. And today, I have Paul Stork on the podcast. If you're not familiar with Paul, check him out on Twitter at TruthCoin. But he is the creator of BIP300 and BIP301, which is a Bitcoin improvement proposal that allows Bitcoin to have side chains that don't affect and ruin the base layer. So you can get different things like uh, Ethereum-like side chains or Monero functionality with, for privacy uh, as attachments, but it doesn't ruin the beauty of the base layer. So the base layer would still be uh, the conservative money layer that it is, and then you can push your coins out into side chains as you wish is the idea. So we cover a lot. We cover what fascinates him about Bitcoin. We cover what is BIP300, what are the reservations people have, talk through some of that, talk about the current state of Bitcoin maximalism, is it good or bad, and a bunch of other topics. So I love this conversation, super interesting. This is also the first official podcast in my new direction, moving away from just being stacks focused and going to Bitcoin innovation proper. So starting with Paul, but you're going to see everything from Lightning to RSK to more stacks and beyond. Before we jump in, just a quick word from our sponsor. We all know Bitcoin is for the innovators, the revolutionaries, and the builders looking to build a better world for themselves and for the next generation. We also know the saying, the best time to plant a tree is 20 years ago. The next best time is right now. The same thing applies to building on Bitcoin. If you want to come build with the most active developer community, building new use cases for Bitcoin, then it's time you make the leap to learning Clarity. Clarity is the Stack's smart contract programming layer, which enables us to work on DeFi, smart contracts, and so much more, all built with the safety and security that comes with Bitcoin. Start today by going to start.stacks.org. Start.stacks.org has a five-step journey that will take you from complete Stacks novice to teaching you clarity all the way to finding a job with a Web3 Stacks startup. Don't wait another month, year, or decade waiting to get involved in the Bitcoin ecosystem. Start building on Bitcoin today. Go to start.stacks.org to start learning and building today. So without further ado, let's cue my amazing segue music and jump in this podcast with Paul Stork. Welcome to Built on Bitcoin. Paul, how are you doing today, my man? I'm doing good. How are you? I am. I'm very good. I'm, I'm excited for this conversation. I, up to this point, just for some context for you and people listening further, I've been a Stacks podcast up to this point, and now I'm expanding into Bitcoin proper. This is the day on. that it's like you are you are number one. So that Stacks podcast. This this is over. That's right. Bitcoin's the thing. That's no, in the past now. So you're 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 the uh, inaugural first guest of wow. uh, the built on Bitcoin. Exciting. Focusing on Bitcoin innovation and all of its fat like facets. So that's kind of my niche on life. That's right. I feel good. I feel really good. And uh, yeah, you you were interesting because 
as I've been going through my journey, you kind of see like fringe-ish things around Bitcoin that you know, yes. don't get the love they deserve. And like as a stacks person, you definitely feel that too. And everyone, so uh, as a stacks person, everyone in Bitcoin has been very welcoming and supportive. 100%. Uh, yeah. <laughs> okay, Bitcoin maxis are just like really nice Walmart graders. It's like... That's really easy for me to believe. Yep. So uh, yeah, you felt like a natural like to transition okay, to cool. this. There's a lot to, to talk about. And before we jump into any specifics of what you've been building and Bitcoin maximalism, because it's the hot topic right now, I'd love to hear how, not how you got into Bitcoin, but what fascinates you about Bitcoin? Well, I think really like um, it's an abstraction that you can own. So it's kind of like um, people can own like Google.com, like they can they know they own the name, uh, but but money itself is is already pretty fascinating, right? It's like this persuasive force. Like you can just like announce, oh, I'll give a million dollars if someone can bring me a shirt or whatever, like a tray, a banana, and people will do it. Like it's like this magnetic field that you can cast on people to get them to change what they do with their lives. Like people go to work every day for money and they, they toil away. And so money is pretty fascinating as is. And so I guess this whole point is now called the digital scarcity idea. This idea that you have all the benefits of something that's digital. You can copy and paste it and send it around the world. It's back. You can back it up in the cloud. So digital stuff is great, but it's a digital thing that you can own. And that is uh, that's, that's pretty cool. Uh, more directly, though, I did get into Bitcoin by reading the Silk Road article long ago. And I was like, oh, regular people are using this online uh, to buy drugs. And so I was like, it's only a matter of time before it conquers the entire dark part of the economy, which I studied economics. So I knew that it was actually like $10 trillion a year, like huge second largest economy in the world was the entire black market of the world. And I was like, once it does that, it will just start gobbling up these smaller and smaller nations that have these terrible banking, central banking, monetary policy governments. And it would just gobble them up. And then I just thought, I don't see why it would ever stop. It would just take over the entire planet. So I was like, it was like part selfish also, because I was like, the potential is there. This will just, it'll be like the internet and it'll just crush everything. So what's not fascinating about that? I mean, that's pretty fascinating, objectively, I would think. Uh, I I would say so. It's also interesting because you, money is a, is a, interesting uh it does give you a lot of power like you can you can you can yeah. capture labor in some sense and then you can also uh get things done on the other side but you also in your definition you 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 expanded it to more than just money and you went to digital scarcity which is that's a a, a nuance that i think you know coming from more of a stacks web three-ish view uh a lot of bitcoiners don't seem to hold like they don't see the value in NFTs or really securing these tokens on the blockchain for anything besides yeah. money. Well, so, but the NFT is like, who's, because it's like, a, it's clearly the losing side of the argument, right? Like, if you think about it, the, it, the NFTs, it's clearly working with regular people. Like, are they good investment? I mean, almost certainly the answer is no, but people like, like, I can give you a lot of examples uh, of, so we have stuff like Pokemon cards, baseball cards, et cetera. Like, uh, but uh, I had a friend who would, he would go to the movies and he would put the, he'd save this, the ticket stub of the movie and he had this big wall in his bedroom 
growing up and he would he need he filled them up with the the movie ticket stubs which is like you know he like collected the the ticket stub it was like a proof that he had seen the movie and it told you about his his life and it was like a, a thing in the room and this is a completely normal person this was not like a technology early adopter whatever like entrepreneur scientist type person this was like a very normal person and uh, so that's just a normal thing. It's a completely normal human thing to do. And so that's the people who are arguing against NFTs are just not going to win because the idea of collecting things, you know, it's like any play, any game is like most games are even like a regular, like a Mario game, you're walking around collecting coins and things or like you are like those farm simulator games or, you know, you're, or you're collecting wins in a different game, like a, like a Starcraft or something. So I think this this uh, people and everyone is going to be brought around to that point of view. I think the maximalism thing is not even about that. It's just the view that everything else is a scam, and then people just regurgitate it in every case where they think it might possibly apply, even in cases where it obviously wouldn't it wouldn't apply. And even like Hal Finney and Satoshi, Hal Finney and Satoshi also both of them introduced the idea of that like a crypto trading card. You must be familiar with the Hal Finney email from the 90s where he's, he, he was like making that metaphor. So, so really everyone does. It's, one of the, just, it's just a case of the runaway train of the toxic maximalism. Yeah. Yeah. The, the, the collectible example seems, that one's pretty easy to understand. I think that the one that's... Um, more eye-opening to me is that once you have these kind of protocol standards attached to this, you can do different things besides just kind of like store it in your little box and whatever. Um, and I get uh, kind of the maxi point of view of like decentralization rules all, because as you go off that spectrum, you're going more towards a uh, database. So it doesn't make sense to have a blockchain for things that don't matter or trivial in their perspective. But I think I see that as a spectrum in my perspective. Like you have yes. the most decentralized, which should be money, and then you have databases spectrum. that and are even the like unlimited block size uh block blockchain with an unlimited block size would probably be superior to a database that has an unlimited read-write potential anyway. So even in the extreme case, uh a blockchain would be superior. In in what way? Just just briefly, like what? Why? Well, you think like, that's what, well, first of all, what what do you lose basically? Because if it's the centralized database, then someone is just going to pay, and they're going to have their own optimized, uh, perform high performance software hardware, and uh, and but if it's in a huge unlimited block size thing, then blockchain, then maybe you have a, a more convoluted. Uh, serialization of the data, more convoluted uh, software that may be orders of magnitude slower, but it doesn't matter because the if someone has a if someone has an interest in running the the like the SQL server or whatever it is the database, then they can run you know these days with the hardware what it is and with even software what it is and with optimizations, someone can just run the the huge node. Okay, so a huge blockchain with one node. Is very similar to the to SQL Server thing mm -hmm. at this point because I don't believe that the performance hit and something that would be very niche like selling Bruce Springsteen tickets or selling movie theater tickets. You know what I mean? Like the 
that is not going to, there's not going to be like a significant performance difference between the two. Um, and so first of all, you lose basically nothing, but you gain quite a bit because you really do have the, the, not your keys, not your coins situation. And they, they're your, what your property really can't be taken from you absent the 51% attack. Okay. Interesting. Um, so you gain uh, a lot you still can use SPV validation no matter what the block size is. So, so people gain quite a bit. The real question there is like if it's authentication, like if people want to authenticate with keys, because as we know, people lose their keys and it's not today. We have the forgot your password email link, which I think someone should invent like a parallel version of that. We could do that where you have like a one of two multi-sig and one of them is just stored with some guy. And this would be, Totally inadequate for serious people, but for a regular grandma user, like you say, a spectrum would be fine. I like that. Uh, so it's it's so funny hearing you because it just seems so practical in the way that you're suggesting things. And before we go into to BIP 300, I want to touch on the current kind of maximalism news that's been having its heyday in the past week. Um, and it seems why. to me like the... The the big debate, I know you've been under a rock. The 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 big debate to me seems to be about a part of it's fighting over intellectual d- debates, but it seems like um um oh shit, last time pointed. Well, one thing that happened, I'll tell you, is like uh there used to be like super smart people producing a lot of great ideas, and then those ideas have filtered downstream to like the, what I'm going to say, the second class. And now a lot of the first class people, like I'm talking about, uh, I guess I'm talking about like Udi and maybe uh, like he was the originator of many great ideas, as you may know. And then he flips and now he's fighting against his former students. So it's mm. kind of like uh, whatever, Darth Vader fighting Obi-Wan Kenobi or something. And, uh, and that's basically how it's going down because... There's too much stasis now in Bitcoin. So the people who are smart and generating new ideas have nothing to do. And there's a big superstructure about like whether or not that's a good thing. And um, but it's assuredly a bad thing. Yeah, I think the smart people leave is the worst thing. Totally. And one of the things that seems to be it, it kind of gets uh, focused on, Udi's doing it, about what's the actual best way to attract new Bitcoiners. And that seems yeah. to be lost on the maxis where it's like you either get it or you're an idiot. And they're not really speaking yes. to the person who's newer. It was. This was a, this is in a miss. Um, but in the past, there were people. In the past, there were no genuine competitors to Bitcoin at all. So it really was the case that anyone who studied it long enough would learn that now, smart people in the past knew that. So you had some interesting characters, including like the Nakamoto Institute guys, including like Daniel Krawitz and these other people who have since like kind of gone crazy. But then there was also this, this character, Mercha Popescu, whom a lot of people have imitated. And he was like, he was this guy who was just 100 million percent convinced that Bitcoin would crush everything in its path and that it would never be it would be the unmoved mover, like no one would be able to change it. And so um, he was like an ardent small blocker. He maintained his own version. He, he thought that Bitcoin should stop, stop upgrading. He, 
he was the original like ossification guy and he goes way way back years and years and now people are trying to imitate him also nasim taleb used to do this as well where he would just bully people on twitter and that was the, the gimmick it was like for engagement it was like it doesn't really matter whether or not it was like a jenna maroney type of a thing from 30 rock or something where it's like it doesn't matter if any of this is true or not it's just for publicity you know like a kind of a weirdo thing like that so people have started to imitate that but since those people were never smart enough to figure it out why it worked in the first place they now just completely they keep regurgitating it but i don't know if you had a more specific question about um that well I, I i i think it kind of dovetails into maybe how the catalyst for bit 300 came about but um, no, you know, it actually I, I, didn't I saw, at all because I came up with Bit Three Hundred. Uh, I came up with the idea behind Bit Three Hundred long ago because I had this prediction market idea, like a like a really long time ago, like ten years ago, and um, I was like going to try to figure out if I could get it to work first, and I got it to work, but it was it involved all these things that were so alien to Bitcoin that I knew you could never really add it to Bitcoin, like in a soft fork or something. It would be like so bizarre if you did, like it would just be weird. So uh, the idea of the side chain was like kind of being invented at that time, but I had to, in parallel, I just had an idea and I just said, listen, I'll make a whole, I like kind of independently invented a couple of things where I said like, like I have my, this other blockchain over here and we'll just have this person, this Oracle, very similar to what Blockstream eventually called the, this federated sidechain, which is a, a terrible phrase, bordering on fraud. But that, but I had a very similar idea before then, long before. This was even before Segwit was a thing. And the idea was it would watch as people deposited coins. It would send them to the Oracle. The Oracle would credit them. You could write the software to credit them over on the sidechain. So it was a very much a layer two type of a thing. And then when people wanted coins back, this Oracle would sign the withdrawals. So I kind of punted everything to the Oracle. This was like getting closer and closer to the solution all the time. Because I was like, the Oracle with a key, can have a key, a public-private key. The Oracle can understand what's going on, even though the Bitcoin network can't. So I was like, we'll punt to the Oracle. And then I was like, the Oracle is only going to sign if the certain number of blocks pass. That later became like what was known as the SPV proof in the block stream uh, lingo or the uh, whatever you want to call it, the dictionary, their definitions. And um, and so I had that idea. And then I was like, what if you could just do something where, you know, I, got, I was really stuck on this idea of like, if a certain number of blocks pass, then you just kind of let it through. Because I knew that the way it would work is that you could do an awful lot to make sure that the blockchain was either completely 100% valid or like something had gone wrong. So you could do a lot of like error corrections, like a big funnel. And you could say it's 100% right or something somewhere has gone wrong. And that would give people at least some incentive to keep it 100% right since any deviation would crash the whole thing. And so then uh, then I, later on, I was like, okay, BIP300 was just, we'll, let, we'll do a soft fork to Bitcoin so that it can become aware in some cases of this little score, this little number that kind of ticks up as blocks are added to the main chain Bitcoin. And if the score reaches a certain amount, then a certain withdrawal is let through and that's bit 300. So I don't know if that explanation is intelligible, but it really had nothing to do with it. I had all of it kind of worked out uh, in on bitcointalk.org, like 
in or like early 2014 or something. So it had nothing to do with that. And there was no, even the block size war, which was getting worse every year, it still wasn't, it had only been so many years. So it wasn't that bad. It was nowhere near as bad as it would later become. Do you, just for quick context, how bad on like a scale from one to 10, how bad is it right now compared to back then? The worst was probably, I think the worst was, it's hard to say. I think it's got to be, the, would have to be that the worst was like 2017, 2018 with the actual eruption into two, two blockchains. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, Bitcoin Cash very quickly lost, I would say, in 2018. So then I would say, and then 2019, and then COVID distracted everyone. <laughs> yeah. It just was like so psychologically important uh, that it uh, that was. Com- so I would say that that was the worst. Uh, and then, but the crazy thing was, for years it would get like 2012. It started to get bad. Then 2013, it was like 10 times worse, and then it got like 10 times worse every year. Like every year, people would say stuff like, "There's no way it can get worse. It can. There's no way it can get any more contentious." than it is now but then there was like people people being super super mean and then there was like death threats and there was like denial of service attacking like a power plant at one point there was like really just like completely uh got very okay. bad and just like complete hatred everyone to the degree and this is the problem though the toxicity today is uh, partly a result of the side one side having won and one side having lost because the mm. side that that won it was so emotional and everything that it, that it became overconfident and complacent. That makes sense. Okay, so for con- for context, did you start working on the kind of stuff that led to 300 in 2014? Or was this- yes, it was just an idea, though. I never worked on the code until much later because I was busy working on the actual prediction markets project, which I did mostly through like 2015, 2016. Okay, and... So yeah, now I want to. I'd love to get more into the weeds about Bit Three Hundred, but let's go over it one more time. What in like a good summation? What is Bit Three Hundred for those who don't understand it? Well, Bit Three Hundred is a very, very, very simple, super simple but very effective SPV proof. So the question is, what is an SPV proof? SPV proof is something that you can attach to a transaction that it, it hinges, it goes left versus right. It goes left if a certain amount of work has endorsed, a certain amount of hash rate has endorsed the transaction, and it goes right if it has not. So that's so you can make, you build a transaction so that, these are the withdrawals from the sidechain. You build a transaction so that it relies on that little lock, and then the transaction can be basically spent by the miners. But in this case, the the lock is three months worth of 100% of the hash rate or six months of 51% of the hash rate or anything in between. So it takes an enormous amount of hash rate, an enormous amount of time to open the box any certain way. And the question is, what's the use of that? And the answer is the side chains generate value for the miners. They generate transaction fees and they make the coin more valuable, their existence, like just having a Zcash sidechain around that lets people have privacy or just having large block sidechains around um, that gives them value value to the Bitcoin miners. So collectively they, it's like a huge multi-sig that's like a 13,150 out of 26,000 
huge multi-sig, but you can only have one signature per block. That's some way of explaining it. So this basically, it's the way of, it's a way of re, if you don't think that there's going to be a 51% attack, then it's a way of uh, getting away with murder, basically, because you can have this, you can have anything happen over the, on the sidechain world, and then main chain layer one world does not have to deal with any of that. It can ignore all of that, but you can still get all the benefits. I don't know if that made any sense. I should probably um, work on the elevator speech for that, I suppose. <laughs> it, it would help for me. I'm going to do my best to, to dance around, though. So, yeah. so if this was enacted, the Bitcoin main chain will be seeing transactions four times a year? The uh, Yeah, the uh, but the withdrawal attempts show up in the Coinbase first. So you can, anyone can attempt at any time. But per sidechain, only one, it's like slowly running across a big field or slowly taking a train from like New York to LA. That's going really, really slow. And three months later, the withdrawal starts and it's finally three months later, it, it docks in LA and, uh, and then it can be included in a block and go through okay, as so, a regular level one transaction. Okay. But so, so that's from kind of like the initiation to when it finalizes, yes. but is a, uh, is the initiation happening every Bitcoin block? So it's technically- No, it's just whenever whenever anyone wants to, uh, a miner, anyone who finds any block can propose the withdrawal. So you can, you can propose one whenever you like. And in fact, you can propose them all the time. But within the side check, side chain number four or something, only one out of all that have been proposed can, can move one step closer to the finish line. And is there a different transaction initiated for each different BIP300 sidechain? Yes, because they're separate. Okay, so if there's a... Could I, I saw one video where you were giving examples of like BitZcash, BitMonero. Yes, you can do it. You different. It, so you could fork, yeah, so you could fork stacks, remove the token, and then yes. it, these would all be individual depending on the activity of the network or interest in the network. Yeah, the, the the key revolution of sidechains or of Bit300, however you want to think about it, is I would say is one of responsibility. So right now, the uh, there is we have a we have a weird situation where there no one is responsible. So what I'm getting at is each sidechain kind of like has its own little CEO, the benevolent dictator developer who runs the project, but that person is accountable to the actual users. Because if no one sends any coins there, then there's no coins on the network. So the network may exist, but there's no one there. So it's like opening a store and it has no customers. But what you don't want, you don't want developers to be accountable to other developers. That is a huge mistake. Is that obvious why? That would be like having... It's not. That would be like having, the, that would be like having Tim Cook be accountable to... Uh, whatever, like, I don't know, Jamie Dimon or um, whatever, the guy from Amazon. The hell's that guy's name? I'm blanking at his name. Jeff Bezos. Yeah, Jeff Bezos. So like, uh, that would be like Tim Cook being accountable to Jeff Bezos. But that's outrageous. Mm -hmm. Tim Cook is accountable to the Apple shareholders and the Apple, Apple customers. Okay, should give a, now you should give a one piece of you know, you shouldn't care one bit about 
except as, as in terms of if Amazon is going to be competing with him for the customers, but he should only care. The focus has to be on the customers. But we have now we have like a USSR developer uh, weirdo committee thing, which is horrible. It's hard to say. It's hard to understate how bad night and day it would be if we had little little different CEOs that had people where people have total accountability and total control over the blockchain, their blockchain. So they can say, I think the block size should be exactly this. And I'm accountable to, if people like that, I'm going to tell a story. And if people like that, they'll come. And if I'm wrong, then they'll leave. Or if I'm wrong, then the network will get, will get hacked and everyone will lose their coins or the miners will drop it because they won't be able to figure out They'll, they'll decide it's not good for Bitcoin. So that's the other thing is if this network isn't, isn't contributing to the value of Bitcoin and to the transaction fees, then it will, it'll just get dropped. They'll just they'll stop supporting it. And that's a good thing because this keeps everyone aligned, which is exactly what we want. And we don't want a situation where basically uh, whatever it is, like Tim Cook can tell Jeff Bezos that he can't do something or vice versa. We want them to actually to hate each other. It's actually much better if they hate each other and they constantly frustrate each other because each is working harder and harder to please the customer. You know what I mean? Then you have someone else, the, uh, the, uh, what are those people? The Walton, the, the Walmart people. Mm-hmm. Uh, so if we want to have, we ought to have all that. We want to have all those people who hate each other instead of today we have a thing where Everyone has to agree with everything and um, everyone has to uh, reach a consensus. The, the truth can't be found by consensus. You have to have advocacy like we have in the, like a defendant and a uh, prosecutor. And you have to have, you have to have uh, a confrontation. Okay. So in, in this the truth example, can never be found by consensus. Consensus is good for a blockchain, but it's very bad for humans. Consensus is like North Korea or like uh, 1984, and it is a nightmare world. Okay, so in this example, the 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 users that Bezos and Tim Cook are fighting for are BTC owners. Uh, yeah, globally, you, you keep your coins on layer one, where it's going to be really, really conservative and really safe and a very ossified, small block size. You keep your coins there, and then you have the option to go to any side chain or none. Whenever you want, and possibly never. And God bless you if you pick never. They have to entice you over. They say, listen, send the coins to sidechain number three. It's got a Zcash mixer or whatever. You know what I mean? So see, we'll say, okay, listen, uh, with 5% of my coins, I'm going to give it a try. Or with $5, a minuscule portion, I'll give it a try. And then... They decide if they get more comfortable with it, they give it more of a try. The same way you would try out a new restaurant or anything. See, can you imagine how absurd it would be if uh, two people opened a restaurant and both of them were accountable to like whatever restaurant, which is like uh, five streets away or something, and and everything had to go through that one person? Uh, That would be absurd. But that's what we have, except copied and pasted and stamped out into every... All the altcoins, every chain is uh, a kind of a totalitarian chain. And this is a kind of, we don't have anything that celebrates the descent, which is the sidechain dream. So if you're, I want to make this practical for people and myself. If you 
if you fork Monero, let's say, and then we we put it as a bit Monero, and I start to move my BTC over there, um, what does that look like practically? So I just I I, I merge it over. What's sitting on on Bit Monero now? Bit Monero is a would be a modified version of Monero where they never the blocks never mint any new coins at all. So the only coins that are created to show up with deposits. And also, I invent this other thing, blind merge mining, which I think uh, you're crazy if you don't use either merge mining or a regular blind merge mining. And there's really no controversy. I think most, almost everyone agrees with me that that my, uh, merge mining and blind merge mining are mostly the same thing. Is mostly there's no the controversy is about Bit three hundred and people not understanding it at all, which we can get to. But uh, and all the misunderstandings of Bit three hundred, I interpret it. I, I preemptively anticipated in the November 2015 post. And so they're all actually in there, but no one has read the post. So they don't realize that I was seven years ahead of them uh, even today. So the, uh, but to go back to the question, you have this thing, there's no new coins. It is much more like a, like a lightning node or very much a layer two where it's the software is there watching each Bitcoin block is in the software we wrote. It doesn't even do anything unless it can connect to a Bitcoin full node. It won't even, because it doesn't know what time it is because of the merge mining. So it will use the Bitcoin blocks to figure out even what's happening. And if you don't do, you don't connect it, it will just, it will just sit there and it will refuse to do anything. So when you deposit coins in, we have a, I could show you screenshots or something, but in the regular main chain L1, we built a little GUI graphical thing and you, you make a, you make a sidechain deposit to rest on the sidechain and you kind of copy and paste it over. And so you send them to this thing, they leave your wallet on the layer one node, but then uh, as, an, as the next block is found on the sidechain, or the, really the blocks are all found as, together as groups. When that block is found, then you get credited with the new coins over there. So it's just like sending your coins from one wallet to another wallet, except the other wallet is in the Bitmonero world. And once you're in the bit Monero world, you can presumably use all the desirable features of Monero, which would be like the ring signatures and the, the privacy, et cetera. And then when you want, you can take them back, the coins back. Okay. Got it. Um, you can go back to any owner. Is there, so I want to start to touch on why people are so resistant. And the first, the first thing that comes to mind is, the, is there a tax surface of, I send my BTC to, Bit Monero or whatever, some some side chain, it's faulty or uh, does something foul. How can Bitcoin disappear in this model where it goes to a side chain, it is something uh, ridiculous and it never comes well, back? Well, what actually happened is the 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 coins would reach a state, they would go into side chain like number three, which is a Monero side chain or something. And then no one would be able to actually tell who the layer one owners are. Uh that's possible. But the thing is, I think that is part of the pushback, even though it's not rational, because the freedom to make mistakes is really the whole point. Uh, the the person, we're, we're by definition, like I was saying, we're giving the lead developer of that, or the, or the lead designer, or whatever you want to call them, of that second chain, we're giving them the freedom and responsibility that they need to um, to do whatever they want over there. And so... If they make a mistake, that's you know that's on them. That has nothing to do with the uh, BIP three hundred. You know what I mean? Like BIP three hundred is kind of like uh, 
an airport or like a teleporter lets you travel wherever you like. And then someone says, well, what if I travel to Somalia and I get my head cut off or something? It's like, well, that's not the airport's fault. Like mm. the airport had nothing to do with that. That was your decision. And, um, and it's denying us the opportunity to take the plane to an even cooler place than we are now. But I think you're right that that is part of the aversion because right now the current group of Bitcoin core developers, I think, feel take responsibility and feel responsible for people not losing their coins. And they think mm-hmm. if they endorse this, it's opening Pandora's box. And then there'll be someone will send their coins to idiot chain number 78 and then they'll complain about it. And they'll feel they'll get blamed and then they won't get a cool tech job or something because they'll there will be a, a bad Google search results or something. Got it. That makes sense. I mean, that that, that seems to dovetail into why people are so uh, focused on shit coins. Like the ICO craze was obviously a bunch of scams. Some things rose yeah. to the top. And now Bitcoin core, in some sense, are the people in like the kind of like middle sphere now have adopted the sense of like i have to be a defender a white knight in some sense yeah i I think a lot of it is uh, also cognitive dissonance where they look and they see whatever charles hoskinson get billions or dan larimar get billions of dollars and so their brain decides that their brain decides that they're they're just super super evil and that those people are super evil and they're just really really great and so not getting Lots of money is the most important thing in the world. It's more important than having $4 billion. My, my reputation as a non-shitcoiner is worth $4.1 billion mm. or something. So I think that it is just a psychological defect. None of this would have happened if people took my advice and just backed sidechains from the beginning in like 2015. So the lack of sidechains, I think, is the biggest setback in Bitcoin history. There would never have been, there probably would never have even been an Ethereum. There probably would never have been... Uh, even the blockchain without Bitcoin, I don't think that would have happened because people would have been doing productive things. And so it would have been very obvious, like what kind of stuff the blockchain is for and what it's not for. So I think that the whole lack of sidechains is like by far the only important thing that anyone should know about uh, the history of Bitcoin in the last seven years. Got it. Um, you, you don't think... Because people talk about how Bitcoin, Bitcoin is money. Like that's it's it's, it's it's stated goal. It's all it's optimized for. You don't think um, if you if it was adopted back then, Bitcoin would change irreversibly. I think that's another fear that people have is that once you bring it that close to Bitcoin, um, the narrative changes irreversibly forever. Bring what close to Bitcoin? Uh, the ability to attach side chains in this easy fashion uh buddies the brand yeah the narrative the no that narrative would have improved well layer one would have been like this is the conservative zone where nothing changes and this is like the ultra conservative bank and all the other stuff would have been optional stuff and they would have uh, people would go on stage and they would say like the, the people who are today toxic this is if they would have jobs at all <laughs> which is doubtful because the sidechain is also a firewall. It protects the projects from each other. So they have their own zone and we don't tell them what to do over on their restaurant, but they don't tell us what to do. And then in layer one, no one tells anyone what to do because basically nothing happens. So the sidechain is also firewall everything. And so there's no need to have people try and prevent 
Bitcoin from changing because it would already never change. The layer one would never change again. So a lot of these people would be out of a job, uh, which is ironic because those people also criticize. They say the only reason this altcoin person is shilling is because they want they want a job out of that. So that's an irony. But the uh, those people, if they still had jobs, they would go up on stage and they would say, "Listen, Bitcoin's great. We got this. We got Bitcoin Beach. We got El Salvador." And they'd say, "We got this. We got this genius kid, uh, Vitalik. He's doing a." Uh, smart contracts in Bitcoin, which goes back to Nick Zabo, they would like, the whole tune would be different and it would all just be, it would be including all these people. There would be no fighting over Jeremy Rubin. There'd be no fighting over whatever, turn complete, ZK snarks, all that stuff. Bitcoiners wouldn't have to pretend that they're not impressed with ZK snarks right now, even though they were for until, until Zcash, they were very, very impressed and excited about them. And then until Zcash became a thing and then they, now they hate them. And then, uh, so the whole thing is, all of it is just cope. And none of that would have happened if we had side chains the whole time. But the question was, if we had moved it in the past, it would change Bitcoin's narrative away from being money. And I think no one would doubt that, that the coin itself would be money at all. They would say that, but there's different pieces of software. So you see, just as there's different altcoins today, there would be different side chains and they'd be very different. It'd be as different as, you know, PowerPoint is from from Microsoft Word or something. And then someone would say, like, you know, oh, is Bitcoin money? Of course it is. The more the more things, the more places where it's used, it's like we use money in all kinds of ways. You know, we don't, uh, you buy uh, casino chips, you buy money market accounts, you know, with your cash, you have an ATM. So it's like people invented, an ATM is a good example because they exchange at par. You put $20 in and you get $20 in your checking account or you take $20 out of the checking account and you get a $20 bill. So that's like the side chain, the exchange at par, a one-to-one value, the so-called one-to-one peg. So that's a very good example. So then uh, if someone could come along and they say, is a credit card money? Is uh, whatever, is the checking account money? And you'd see how silly those questions would be. People would okay. be like, why are you even asking? No, that that makes sense. I could I could see how if this was adopted, Bitcoin would be. I can almost see hyper Bitcoinization happening faster because it's yeah, more. Course. You're closer to improper interoperability and like this widespread. Absolutely, and of course, most it. people have very different needs. So people are very different. Some people really need the Zcash sidechain because they're like very, very, very privacy-centered uh, people with uh, who knows what they're up to, but we know there's quite a few things where people would prefer greater privacy. Some people don't need that at all, and some people don't need decentralization very much at all. So like if you're just uh, buying the coffee or or you're just... Uh, people have different accounts too. Like you have, you have like the cash you walk around with in your wallet. You know that you might lose your wallet any day. So you don't keep your life savings in your wallet, you keep like, whatever, like a hundred bucks or something in your wallet in cash. And then you have different accounts. So the people have different needs, not every transaction needs, but we want them all to be Bitcoin transactions. So we don't want there to be a Venmo transaction or a credit card transaction out there. We want to, cr- we need to crush everything. And if we have to make like a large block side chain to gobble up the, uh, the Venmo transactions, well, will you, let me ask you this. This is an easy question. Is it better that we have large block Bitcoin sidechain that is less decentralized because it is has a larger block size and has more expensive full nodes? 
And it also has the handicap that it is not the layer one, but it's an optional layer two. It's a BIP 300 sidechain. So it's, it's subject to extra assumptions. Is, but it uses actual Bitcoin and it has actual people with their keys. Is that, is that better for Bitcoin or is it better for that person to use Venmo and to, and to use the US dollar and to never use Bitcoin? Like which of those is better for Bitcoin? Yeah, that's when you when you say it like that, it seems like a no brainer. Um, I love. Okay, so I wanna I wanna start. Wow, we're going we're going. I usually go for a half hour. We're cruising through this interview, so this this is fine. There's a lot to cover. I got a couple more questions. I once did a clubhouse interview for nine hours. No, you didn't. What the hell? Yeah, it started at uh, nine p.m. and it went until six a.m. Talking about Bitcoin or yeah, of or, course. That's that's insane. Um, I'm curious now. So, if someone's bought in, they like the idea of everything they just heard. What is the biggest blockers to get to start to get the ball rolling on BIP 300? What has to change to get it over the line? Well, unfortunately, I think the entire culture is in like in a bad place. Honestly, I see like people like Udi or whatever is like kind of like the saviors as trying to bring it back to life. This is kind of hard to express though because um, the the what happened was uh, we won the block size war and as a result people concluded that not only which it was an easy win i could go into the details but the point is the more conservative side won and as a result it became very flaky to suggest any change to bitcoin at all also the miners took the other side and lost and so as a result bip 300 which uses miners instead of a fixed group of keys or a fixed number of people, which uh, people, you know, uh, there's no way of knowing if who owns which keys in the real world. So this is really just like basically giving your money to one guy in the federated model, uh, as far as anyone could tell. But instead, this is a process that involved the miners, BIP 300, because it's SPV proof, we use hash rate. So as a result, anything involving the miners became like, just like, too awkward for people to even talk about. It became very stigmatized. And this has just continued for a while. But after, as the years roll by, people are finally coming around on this issue. So I, I, what I used to tell people about BIP300 is, you know, just, just read about it, learn about the issues. I have a big like YouTube uh, series and just, you know, like try and just talk, talk about it uh, with your friends, uh, bring it up and just... Just get the idea into the Overton window. And I still think that that's really what is needed is for more people to just, like, you can't wait for me to talk about it. Because the other thing is the process for getting something through Bitcoin Core is actually very miserable. And I don't see in particular why I should be responsible for doing it. You know what I mean? Like I invented this idea. I wrote the code. I wrote all these explanations. And then people are like, okay, now all you have to do is... uh, all you have to do is hike to the top of Mount Everest and then like cast a spell or something. And I'm like, well, I don't know. Someone else can hike to the top of Mount Everest. Like, I'm. This is a good idea, but I don't. But uh, there's more to it than that. The other bad news is that it may not even be possible anymore because the entire Bitcoin development uh, cycle has ossified already, whether anyone wants to or not. And it used to be that there, there used to be many soft forks a year, like a long time ago, like 2015. But now, after since then, there was only SegWit, which took from 
like basically the end of 2015, which is kind of like it was decided on via the scaling to um, conference. Then they worked on it until scaling three, which was not until uh, October 2016, 2016, excuse me. And then it didn't activate until uh, August uh, 2017, as you know. So that took a while. Since then, there's only been Taproot, which was November 2021. So that's basically another five years. And now uh, people are not, um, people are just not in the mood for this type of discussion. Like even the Taproot thing, it was miserable to get people to even begin to talk about activation. And so the whole thing has become a minefield. And as a result, I think it's just, you can see it getting slower and slower each time. So I don't know exactly uh, what it will take, but it may not even be possible, which is a mm. kind of a shocking idea. So it sounds like it definitely won't be possible if people don't talk about it ever and no one knows about the idea or if totally. people know mistaken things about the idea. For a while, the idea would get various criticisms, but now the critics, I think, have been kind of shouted down and they are now not speaking anymore or they have changed their tune. So we finally won them over a lot of them. But still, I think there are a lot of misunderstandings uh, persist. Uh, these are mostly related to the idea of responsibility that the user should be, you should be able to get on the airplane and go wherever you want, even if it's an unsafe, even if it's a place that some guy thinks is unsafe, that like Peter Todd thinks is unsafe. Well, you can listen to him and decide for yourself. He shouldn't be able to force you forcibly prohibit you from, from choosing to go there, even after you read everything. And certainly not, you know, you have a hundred percent of your net worth and you want to put 0.1% you want to try something out. You can see how that's much more reasonable. And that is, of course, what people would do at first. No one is going to just board all them. I think another thing that's happened, though, is that the, as the Lightning Network gets big, a certain counterattack, because the BIP300 was often criticized on the basis that 51% of the miners can steal the money over three to six months <laughs> and in plain view of everyone. But with the Lightning Network, 51% of the hash rate can also steal money from a channel, uh, like secretly and in private and without anyone knowing about it with far less recourse. So that fact, the fact that the Lightning Network has uh, exists and that isn't a problem, I think cuts against that whole evil miners explanation which is which has its origins from politically in the block size war and is not actually based on people's beliefs because of course 51% miners if they were evil they could make all kinds of havoc on the regular main chain as well so the the idea was never rational it was always just that no one the bitcoin development community had a very contentious relationship with the miners because of the block size war so it sounds like there's three main groups in this kind of triangle. There's Bitcoin users proper, which we'll call like the culture. And then yes. there's Bitcoin core that can submit and push through code. And then there's the miners. And so you're saying the, the biggest variable by far is the culture, which the, the core devs kind of follow. Do you think that's yeah, it's interesting. I think the core devs are also victims of the culture in a way. Uh, 
but there's a the idea there's an idea that like Bitcoin is already perfect and doesn't need any more changes and its success is inevitable. That idea has become very popular, as you probably know. So there's a lot of people who just say that the project is pointless because they say Bitcoin's already perfect and you just need to uh, get on board. And no one needs any of these side chains because it's because 21 million is the thing and just number go up. And so we don't need anything. Um, they, uh, there's a lot of strength in that argument, but I think it's just not good enough because in particular, one of the things side chains do is they allow you to ossify layer one forever and to make that promise in a way that is credible. Because before okay. you just say, listen, we're never going to change it. But then we did change it because SegWit was a mandatory block size increase from one to four megabytes. So it was it was a soft fork in the sense of being backwards compatible, but it was a hard fork in the sense of loosening the rules or what used to be called an evil fork because it was a mandatory block size increase from one megabyte to four megabytes. And it also introduced a perverse incentive where transactions take up more space, but they're charged a lower fee. Uh, in particular, the P2SH segment, which were much bigger and charged much less. So, it, so we already we already like made it worse, basically. And then, of course, this new trend of we have more and more address formats, and then the the batch thirty two is broken, so we'd have batch thirty two M, and eventually we're going to have a one address format per person on the planet Earth. And you know, it's like torture. I think uh, not necessarily the. So even if you want, even if you're this conservative person who thinks that none of it should change, you've still already been betrayed, and you would you would want to look for something that would wall everything off, which sidechains would also do. Bit three hundred would also do. It'd be the one change you would make, and then you would never have to change anything again. And so that also would be great. Hmm. Yeah, I find I find this super. Super fascinating. I'm curious. So I like to end on kind of a forward-looking high note. So in this in this scenario, I'm imagining Bit300 gets adopted. Um, and let's look at three to five years out, which is like 70 in crypto time. What mm-hmm. what does Bitcoin look like if that was the, the reality in five years? Well, it depends. Uh, but I think the big thing would be the toxicity would be over, actually, because... There would be no need for these people to block changes because the sidechain world would already be blocking the changes. They would already be like walled off. So there's no need for the defenders of Bitcoin. So because it would already be defended perfectly. And so people would instead be building new things. Another key thing would be like you wouldn't have to, it would be less bureaucracy because you wouldn't have to defend your idea to anyone except the customers. So you wouldn't have to explain like how it works or why it works. Someone could just have an idea. They would just make the side chain. Uh, I think, you know, the idea behind, I think we would, it's too late now to, there used to be a vision that side chains would just kill off the competitors. But now I think we will have what's kind of like a two party system for a while where we'll have like Bitcoin and, and ETH. Um, but I do think that all the other ones would be stomped out. Uh, I don't know why you would still have other coins uh, and they would be, there would be no, it would be, we'd have like a kind of a bit assets, NFT thing, sidechain in the Bitcoin world. So that those would still live there, but they would live in a way where it was clear what their, their status was as 
They're not money. They're sort of second-class citizens. You pay for them with Bitcoin. You pay the transaction fee in Bitcoin. So we'd have all that. We'd have lots of different projects. There'd be lots of... It'd be possible for someone new, like a random 16-year-old that no one has heard of before, to just like create a sidechain one day and they'd just show up but like without talking to anyone, without going to VCs, without having a website. They would just make the thing. And if users liked it, it could become big and that person could have a whole career. They could have a huge career, like just making the thing with no kind of all this other stuff that I think is mostly BS of like having to like start a company and whatever to make, to make whatever it is, you know, polka dot or some crap. So, um, so you, you wouldn't have that. You have much more of a focus on, on building. And then it would also, it would, I think it would reunite a lot of different people. Like you had people who were just the kind of promoters, like a Roger Veer type of a person, like who would like get make billboards and things. Who would like like a marketing type person. Those kind of people would kind of come back. Uh, definitely, the, I think the toxicity would be the biggest difference, and, the, and people would be constructing things. And uh, developers would lose quite a bit of status as well, believe it or not, because they would be like competing television channels. Whereas today, there's a total monopoly. Each developer is like a tyrant and they run the project with, they rule with an iron fist and there no dissent is allowed. And some pretend to like, some pretend to discuss, but it's just no different than the king talking with like four or five oligarchs. Uh, You'd have real, real competition. So if you had someone makes a project and any, it would be really more like open source software where, Someone makes a, pro- a project, and if you think one single line of code should be different than what it is, you can make a new sidechain. I don't think that would happen very often because I think the threat of it happening would be enough to keep everything focused on the end user. So it'd be like an Apple thing as well, where the user experience would start to improve. We probably have no addresses because does anything really ugly and and too techy. The other thing is there'd be no like people wouldn't want to do anything like impress technically impressive just to impress other developers. They would just do stuff that works and they would want to it would all be focused on the user. So uh, there probably would be no addresses. I don't know exactly. Someone would invent something cool the same way the seed phrase was invented. They would invent other cool stuff for like UTXOs so that people could figure out things like fees. Probably every fee would probably go down because of horizontal scaling. So if fees got, if there was an idea and one blockchain number six, sidechain number six, that was really good. You could just copy and paste sidechain number six and start a new one. You would need to raise the block size. You have basically an unlimited number of horizontal space and new blockchains that are the same. So all the fees would be very low. The total amount of fees collected by the layer one miners would be high because they merge mining, they all go to the same group. So those would be some pretty big changes. I think also people would reunite. It would be like, there wouldn't be the infighting. There's a very good essay by Guern called the Tech Holy Wars. I think it's called Tech Holy Wars are Coordination Problems. It's very short. Everyone should read it. And it's excellent. And we would have, uh, there would be no infighting, I think. It would just be like Bitcoin and Ethereum and then nothing else. And both would be different takes on the same thing, I would think. Um, Because even Ethereum is now doing like uh, sharding and ZK roll-up type. They're also doing a very similar thing. 
So we'd have those two and uh, it would all just be Bitcoin versus Ethereum in the uh, crypto world and then crypto versus the banks and versus everything else versus uh, ICANN versus Facebook and everything. So in the real world. So I think it would be a lot better. But I, unfortunately, I don't think it'll be <laughs> I think it'll take still years. I mean, it'll take a long time. I think this is all the culture is, and is messed up and the, the developer priorities are also messed up. Like, it's not true that developers decided, like they heard about this idea in 2015 or 2017 and they decided, you know what? Let's change what we say is important away from Taproot, which is a technically impressive thing but which users uh, don't want because we see, you can look at the numbers and you can see that basically no one uses it. Uh, we're going to change that to something that we know that some users want the large block size. And we know that those some of those users are okay with SPV validation. So even though we don't want it, even though we don't think it's a good idea, you know, like a parent listening to their child and the child says, I want to go to snowboarding school or whatever. You could say, oh, I wish they would just go to skiing school or I wish they would whatever, take French. But you say, you know what? Uh, it's the wrong thing to do. Keep someone prisoner here. <laughs> and they'd say, we'll make it possible for you to leave. You know, we don't want you to leave. We don't agree with the choices, but you say, we respect you as the user, as the sovereign user. But I don't think that's going to happen anytime soon, unfortunately. Yeah. It, I think it will slow. It is slowly happening. People are slowly uh, coming around to BIP300, though. I think maybe we have to get that meme going that BIP300 is really like pro user at every, everyone else's expense. It's, uh, and that, that is why it, that's its real justification. Well, I hope. Um... Hope I'm doing my small part to to get the word out. It it seems like uh you know, it's just you want to experiment and get the best ideas out there in the free market. And so this this it, it seems like a natural progression to try that out. Um well this has been this has been fantastic. For people that are curious about uh BIP three hundred or want to follow you, where's the where's the best place to follow up? Well, there is a drivechain.info, which I think I have bip300.info also, but drivechain is bip300 plus 301, and it's not a, it's just easier to break them into two bips. One thing is if you could read the bip. Uh, a lot of people don't do that, but the people who do read the bip quickly get over their anxieties because you see, it's just a little post-it note with a number on it. It just counts up to 13,000, basically. Um, if you're a technical person, that is. If you go to drivechain.info, I have actual software that you could download and run. And that's a great way to learn about what's happening because you can see it happen right in front of your very eyes with test coins that aren't real, that you don't have to buy. And you know, there's also a YouTube playlist where I put all the stuff about drivechain. So I'll, I'll put this in there probably. And so I have lots of stuff, presentations, interviews, panels, and things over the years. And debates. And so, yeah, you can watch, you can watch all of that. And that's like over like 30 hours of stuff is there. So that's the best thing if you want to learn more is the drivechain.info has a lot. There's also a telegram group, t.me slash DC insiders. That's a Washington DC joke. Um, and those are the things that you can follow me on Twitter. I'm truthcoin on Twitter, T-R-U-T-H-C-O-I-N. Perfect. And I will, uh, 
I'll put all the goodies down below for easy access. But man, we covered a lot. Paul, thank you so much for taking the time. This has been fantastic. Cool. Hey, my pleasure. Welcome to Built on Bitcoin. I know that things don't always go your way, but I'll be right here waiting. I've been waiting now. I've been trying to figure out a way to make it out. Make it out, cause I don't think about it.